<sighs> All right. All right. Present. Everyone's present. kick this how do you want to kick this thing up i mean apparently everyone is raping everyone do we want to start there yep yeah i guess some of it isn't so i i guess some of it's just more lewd than it is uh a rape or maybe even uh child molestation or just or, yeah. fucking creepy yeah but uh, hey I, um <laughs> daddy's home too starring mel gibson <laughs> Comes out this holiday from somebody who beat women and hates Jews. When's the last time that he released a movie? I'm going to look that up. Oh, God. Just looking at him. Just look. He's such an angry man. So, oh, yeah. Uh, Blood Father. Don't know what that is. Oh, The Expendables 3 probably was the last <laughs> big movie that he was in. But really, that's just a bunch of, uh, you know, actors that should be put out to pasture that still want to make movies. Yeah. When it's upsetting. What the fuck Daddy's Home one, When did Daddy Home Daddy's Home 1 happen? Oh, he's Oh, it's the father of the father. Oh, okay. Yeah. John Cena's in it. Good, feel good. Oh, Mark Wahlberg. What? There's so many fucking people in this thing. You never saw da- You never saw fucking Daddy's Home 2? Dude, I crushed it. <laughs> I never saw Daddy's Home 1. Hello and welcome to POTUS Life. This is our third installment of our spy trilogy. Trois. Which is sometimes also known as a covert climax. So last week we were talking about some of the tertiary characters of the Culper Ring. Uh, Primarily we were talking about Hercules Mulligans. Hercules Mulligans! And uh, he was the dude that was just kind of like measuring people and uh all that sort of fun stuff and being like oh i'm gonna make you a nice little tailored suit and then uh you know just kind of like basically carry all that information back and give it to the patriots and then we have lydia she was just like yeah you can totally like just keep all these soldiers at my house you fucking cocksuckers uh definitely and uh so she basically spied on all their meetings uh, we talked a little bit about the Sons of Liberty. Herc was actually also kind of a little bit a part of that. However, a lot of people think that a guy named Sam Adams founded the thing. He didn't. Then we were also talking about other counterintelligence, but with inside of the United States boundaries. Back then, everyone kind of thought that everyone else was just a spy and would turn their neighbors in. It would become a big witch hunt. And a guy there by the name of John Jay, one of our chief justices, he was like, no, 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 no. You can't just go arrest and tar and feather everyone and pitchfork them because you think they're a spy. So he kind of tried to set up a more formal process for figuring out who was and who wasn't a spy. 
And yeah, that kind of brings us to today. Uh, a little bit about today, we're going to kind of go through the espionage of the South. A lot of what we've talked about previously with the Culper Ring and the Sons of Liberty, that all happened in the North. And that was kind of, I guess, more exciting spy work, I think. Uh, in the South, it was a little bit different. So we're going to kind of talk about what spying and espionage in the South looked like. Southern espionage is very much like Northern espionage, <laughs> except for it's more polite. <laughs> a little more racist. <laughs> and the biscuits are definitely better. Oh, hey, y'all. We're just going to do a little spying on y'all. From what you may or may not have heard of our coverage of the war, the South was not the initial target for British forces. And that's despite George Washington being from a Southern colony and the war ultimately ending in Yorktown, Virginia, kind of the Mid-South. Yeah, I would definitely classify that as the Mid-South. And the reason they didn't target the South for espionage, the South had a lot of Tories. They had a lot of British sympathizers who weren't hostile towards Britain. And just off the top of my head, I would attribute a lot of that to be economical. The British were not hitting the South's economy like they were hitting the North's. And you didn't have the Sons of Liberty type of movements in the South. So they kind of were ignoring it. Yeah, they were. I think they were pretty cool with Britain. They were like, yeah, this is this is fine. Which this is we, fine. You could also connect the early victories in the South. There weren't many major battles fought in the South until the end of the war. So the North experienced the heaviest rebellion. Port cities of the North, they were key. And that's where we saw the first major battles of the war. So really, the, the British did not think they would have to worry about the South until they cleaned up the North, and then they would just swing down and finish this shit off. Yeah, well, and I, I also don't think that they thought, I, I really don't think they believed there was going to be much resistance down there. They're like, yeah, no, they're, they were pretty cool. And, and I mean, besides the point, there are so many enslaved people in the South that when you look at how many people lived in the North, how many people lived in the South, and then you looked at how many people in the South were black slaves and how many people in the North were white, maybe low class citizens, but at least still white. There were some differences there that I think are important to note. So with so few white people in the South that were mostly just engaged with businesses in England, yeah, they were like totally fucking cool. They're like, yeah, they could yeah, just whatever. swoop down at the end of the war and secure those cash crop areas and those plantations. And I don't think it would have been that much work. I think they would have been like, hey, guys, you want to you want to come back? And they'd have been like, yeah, that's fine. And to their credit, the war did end in the South. It ended in Yorktown. And most of the major battles towards the end of the war were in the South. Yeah, it did. Well, it definitely ended there. Reasons then they would have well, preferred. And, but, but again, it's, it's with the reason that they didn't really even focus the espionage on the South at first specifically was that in the North, there was just so much more activity happening that it, there was no need to really go down there. There were, there were troops down there, there were people down there, but it, the forces were mainly, and the money was mainly concentrated in the North. And the resistance, yeah, the, just the idea of the people who wanted to separate us all in the North. The North. The North remembers, but we do have shit to cover in this spy episode in the South. Espionage from 
the Continental Perspective was under the direction of Nathaniel Green, a familiar character. Congress took Washington's suggestion and put Green in charge of this shit. We have a good record of what went down as far as espionage is concerned because Washington was Green's mentor. And one of the things that Green learned from Washington was to take great notes. Write all that motherfucking shit down. Remember when Washington was out in the frontier, like making all these little maps, making all these little notes, he ingrained that in his aides to camp for sure. Which Green was uh, one of. Yeah, he was previously a Washington aide. He knew how Washington learned and later liked to perform intelligence operations. So he mirrored the South with the North. Some things they did differently. Really boring things like Green used letters instead of numbers. There was no 007. There was no 711. And he got a little more into code breaking. He would employ many Southern mathematicians to to break codes, to break ciphers. The similarity, as you mentioned, was the money issue and greasing wheels, paying spies, getting people to be pieces of shit is not cheap. Nope. And there was no money, honey. Green uncovered the first official American trader back in the summer of 1775. Dr. Benjamin Church, who was the chief physician and director general of the Continental Army, probably would have been the first uh, surgeon general. Yeah. And he was the, he was the, this was a, a big thing. He was also involved in the Sons of Liberty movement in Boston very early on. But he was also early on sending intelligence to General Thomas Gage. See, what Church did was he instructed his mistress to deliver the British intelligence, like American troop numbers, movements, locations, supply depots. And how they got caught was she asked for a friend's help. When you want to conspire and be sneaky, don't involve too many people. Dr. Church's mistress did not learn this lesson. She started involving more people into the the shit that they were doing. One of those individuals reported his ass. (laughs) So this, this dude was tried and convicted of communicating with the enemy. They kicked his ass out of the Continental Army. This is a rich fuck. This is this is a connected guy. He was placed in jail. He's a made man. He's a made man. Yeah, he is a made man. He was sent to jail. In Connecticut, got sick. They started letting him out under the supervision of guards. Then he was sent to Massachusetts, I believe his home colony. And he would, and it's so weird. He just walked about under the condition that he was watched by guards. (laughs) Okay, you're still in jail, but like you basically get to do all the other things that you used to do. (laughs) Until 1778, he was put on a list of people to be banished. From Massachusetts. So he hopped on a boat that was headed for a French-held colony in the Caribbean, and the boat was never to be heard from again. Uh-oh. So we're assuming it was lost at sea, or pirates raped him, or dolphins ate him. Or dolphins raped him. Prove it wasn't true. Don't be crude. Prove it wasn't true. Dolphins are, dolphins are rapey motherfuckers. That's a real, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Green was heavily assisted by Colonel John Lawrence, also in Hamilton. His father, Henry, was the leader of the Continental Congress. Like Green, he also served as Washington's aide. So, John Lawrence established, hey, yo, I'm John Lawrence, and I'm going to establish a couple ring down in the South. 
I'm going to get all copper. I'm going to get all ringy right down in that south. He established the ring of informants in Charleston. This was the largest network of spies in the south. Charleston was a key city to the British. So we can kind of think of Charleston as being similar to New York City. It was big. Big city. Lots of cotton. Big city. John Lawrence ended up getting killed. He was shot from his horse during the Battle of Comahee River in 1782, late in the war. He was only 27 years old. And this was just weeks before the British decided to withdraw completely from Charleston. And his death really fucked people up, especially Alexander Hamilton, who he probably and most likely did butt stuff with. <laughs> when George Washington learned of John Lawrence's death, he said, in a word, he had not a fault that I could discover unless intrepidity bordering upon rashness could come under that denomination. And to this, he was excited by the purest motives. And what that translates to is rich dudes die too. <laughs> rich dudes died in the American Revolution. Two things. Everybody poops. Everybody dies. Sometimes rich guys die too. George Washington pooped a lot. Very wealthy rich guys died. Facts. Most of these rich guys were at a safe distance, and certainly a, a lot of motives behind this war were economic. Oh, yeah. Desire to be the top rich dudes in this land that they resided in. And what dummy could they find to put in charge of all this shit? And not having to pay taxes to a crown across the pond. These are things that we hold self-evident. But at the same time, they were dudes of the Enlightenment. They, a lot of them, maybe not a lot of them. They were subscribers to political philosophers who did preach this liberty mumbo jumbo. And some of them did pay with their lives. It's not complete mythology, which is a thing that the cynical part of me would claim that there was so much mythology in it. But they did have beliefs. I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) They paid for, some of them paid for this with their lives. And they were the rich kids too. It's the most patriotic thing that you'll get out of me. (laughs) Nathaniel Green was heavily assisted by Francis Marion. Marion was a veteran soldier. He had served in the French and Indian War, where he first observed and learned from guerrilla military tactics. He was an engineer by trade, sent by Washington to help Green. He was good at operational security, so he inherently understood like how to keep things fucking secret. He was great at operational security. He was also good at old, quote-unquote, old-school information collection. Mm. Yeah, like, what, what, in what movie, what, like, what movie do you imagine that there's just some, like, badass military, like, patent-type dude that's just, like... I'm going to go in there. Like, okay, uh, Officer Tayback, like, like think about uh, uh, Tropic Thunder and think about uh, Four Leaf Tayback, just like this, like, fucking grizzled military dude who's, like, I mean, actually real in real life, but, like, you know, going out there, like, I'm in the military and I know how to do all this shit. I've been in this shit my whole life. That was totally fucking Francis Marion, for sure. He was a hardcore dude. He was a really Game good engineer. Game over, man. Bill Paxton is playing (laughs) this guy. (laughs) These are definitely not glamorous skills like a uh, an invisible ink or secret code names. 
This guy was good at interrogating POWs and interviewing people fleeing cities, sending out scouts, intercepting enemy communications. He was the bucket of soldiers in Toy Story. Yeah. No, he totally was the bucket of... Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? He fucking did it live. He did He did fucking do it live. Fucking thing fucking sucks. He did, he did it fucking live. So Nathaniel Green was able to combine Lauren's information with Marion's information and paint an accurate picture of what was going on in the South. Green would need as much information as possible in his Southern campaign. He had to make efficient use of his resources. Knowing the enemy movements allowed him to pinpoint his use of troops to maximize the damage given out to the enemy. So earlier we talked about operational intelligence. like, And I think this is where... In the military, there's so many different types of like fucking gathering information. Last episode, we talked a little bit about how really before any military can engage in an area, in a campaign in an area, they would need to start kind of laying those railroad tracks, starting to understand the feelings and the thoughts of what was happening inside of these communities. So having an operational intelligence and the fact that this guy, Francis Marion, was so good at it as a just fucking grizzled old bucket of toy soldiers who have fucking done this day in and day out their whole goddamn life. He knew, he just understood inherently like that he had to fucking go in there and rule some shit and like, Hey, make friends with people. Not everything is like everything is intelligence gathering, but you need to make it seem like you're just going about your day, but fucking notice what's happening. And this is, the the book I read about spying and it, it very really kind of dug into the spying in the revolutionary era era. He really talked a lot about that and about just these different core principles that if you were going to engage in espionage on any level, you had to understand whether that be uh, going to Quantico and like learning how like you know the FBI does all that sort of stuff and or uh, just understanding fucking street smarts and like oh if i'm just cool and chit-chatting with people they'll fucking tell me things that they wouldn't normally tell me if i was coming at them with an official capacity so uh yeah some people just understand it some people are taught it but it's it's really kind of exciting to see how all the characters of this podcast learned some type of operational intelligence and George Washington kind of seemed to have a knack for it because, again, he would go into during the French and Indian War. He was going to these French camps and like, well, while I'm here, I might as well listen to what these drunk ramblers are talking about and draw some fucking maps of their camps. That is an inherent operational intelligence that George Washington had. So it's really cool to see how some of these guys uh, interacted. And. Now I kind of, I guess we're going to move on to a little bit of espionage abroad. Most of our resources have been spent talking about espionage within side of the borders of the colonies, the United States, whatever. Um, and we didn't, we haven't really picked up much on the fact that America was not isolated with this war. We would need help. We would need money from other people. We would need fucking ships ammunition, I mean cash, but all the other things that you fucking need to fight a war. And so we would need to go to other countries. Uh, and by we, I mean uh, Americans now, but patriots back then 
would need to go to all these other countries and basically be like, thank you, sir. May I have some more? Uh, these people, uh, sorry, the Patriots were so fucking poor. We didn't have resources. We, we completely relied on England for everything that we had, our commerce, trade, uh, resources, like resources that were being shipped in. We were talking about like furniture and yes, we had black markets going on during this whole thing. However, we would need to send people to other countries with the express purpose of trying to gather resources from them. Ultimately, what the Patriots wanted was alliances, official pieces of paper saying, yeah, we're on your side. And if Britain tries to fuck with you, like we're totally going to fucking help you out. And that was risky. So one of the major places that the Patriots had to perform this type of espionage of both intelligence gathering, but infiltrating a society that we could kind of suck off of in some way, like, you know, create a relationship where basically they could front the Patriots with all the weapons and money that they would need to fight this war successfully against the English. Ultimately, one of the reasons why we went to France was the French had just finished the Seven Years' War with Britain. They were looking for some fucking revenge. I definitely think, I mean, George Washington fought with the British, so they understood that the French were probably a natural ally if they were also fighting the British. Uh, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So what did the Continental Congress do? During the winter of 1775, uh, the spring of 1776, they had a whole bunch of action going on to negotiate a treaty with France. They decided to send, at some different times, these three guys over to France. Benjamin Franklin, uh, probably the most notable due to this whole situation. Silas Dean and Arthur Lee. So, first things first. These guys did not like one another. It got worse throughout their time together, but... For a whole host of reasons, they all basically hated one another. Secondly, no one could know the exact reason for their presence in France. So Continental Congress sends them all over, but nobody can know why they're there. If the British found out about official French involvement, the British would have launched an official war against France, which France just got out of an official war with Britain, where they lost. So... They, they, there was a very fine line that needed to be walked here. Technically, the British and the French were at peace. On paper, they had signed all the documents, everything was good, but they were definitely not allies. When these dudes went over there, they had to act like merchants. They're like, yeah, we're just, uh, we're here to buy and sell things for just normal things. We're totally not here to like try to see if you're going to sign a treaty with us or like, you know, to get any. We want fur. We just want some pelts. We just want some of that pelt action, you know? So until the time an official treaty was signed, the members were to engage in covert operations, uh, spreading propaganda, privateering, which meant that they were looking for mercenaries. Basically, some of the things they would do, and we kind of talked a little bit about this, where they hired French people, not for the French military, not official French envoys, but they just hired French people that owned boats to go out and capture British boats. Like, yeah, if you go to British boats, bring them to France and just capture, like, you know, oh, we'll trade all that booty. Booty. And uh, so they were looking for a bunch of people that would do that. They were also kind of tasked with, if they could, destroy some of the naval facilities over in Britain. So 
you know, France is really fucking close to Britain. There's only a channel between them. So uh, that was kind of one of their points. And they were also kind of, because of the proximity, supposed to gather as much intelligence as possible. So how did the Americans know initially that France was DTF? And by that, I mean down to fund. Uh, Well, one night, a dude named, oh, this is a mouthful, Julien Alexander Archard de Boulevier. I like that last name. That's a nice, strong last name. He meets Benjamin Franklin via a mutual friend. Julian is a French diplomat undercover as a Flemish merchant, which again, I think that like, I don't really understand. Everyone was a fucking merchant. Uh, I think this was more of like an all encompassing time. Imagine a merchant being like a consultant today. Like, what does that mean? We're not really sure, but they probably make a lot of money. Maybe. Or imagine Pepsi expanding around the globe. What a great cover. For being a CIA agent. Oh, that's nice. Do you think true, true stories? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. CIA I could... traveled around the world while Pepsi expanded and uh, spied on people. <laughs> it's very interesting. Spying is fucking interesting. I. These are yeah. the spies that don't even have airplanes. <laughs> they don't even have No, you'd telecoms. have to fucking you'd have to fucking just cram yourself in a goddamn boat and hope you didn't die crossing the motherfucking ocean trying to get to France or like I mean sometimes some of them went to Spain. We'll talk a little bit more about where they went, but I mean it all required you getting on a motherfucking boat and hoping you did not die. <laughs> Spying. There was no, there was no jet setting. There was no, there was no looking cool. Uh, and just, to, just to kind of make sure I, I don't leave everyone on a cliffhanger with this because I'm gonna like really drill down into these three guys because I think they're so fascinating and I think the fact that they went over and were trying to basic, they were the military front of the patriotic cause abroad. Period. Like they secured, and again, this is, I guess, I'm not leaving you with the cliffhanger after. The victory at Saratoga in 1777, an official treaty of commerce and alliance would be signed by the French for the Americans. They're like, oh, you're winning. We'll totally back you. And they also knew that because the Patriots were winning, the British were spending a lot of military resources in America. So they weren't necessarily in any position to fight or pick a war on a European front. Never fight a war on fucking two fronts. It just won't fucking work. They they knew the Brits were probably not going to attack them, and they were pretty safe. The three guys. The first guy I want to talk about is a man by the name of Arthur Lee. His first official assignment was actually not even to France at all. Instead, he was sent as an official representative to England. He was the guy that was negotiating between the crown and these congresses that were under control of the governors who were sent from England. So... While he was over there, he was basically like, hey, guys, like what you're doing isn't cool and we want representation. And they would be like, no. And he would be like, "Okay, I'll write back. And he would write back to the Congress at the time. Again, these Congresses were still initially under control of the British at these bodies. And so he would write back to them and be like, no, sorry. They said no. And then they would be like, that's outrageous. And then like they would write back and, and he would handle that. Well, once shit started popping off in the Americas, he was sent to Spain because they're like, all right, 
We're cutting ties. You got to go find us some fucking resources. So off to Spain you go. Eventually he would make his way to Prussia. Uh, and again, he was just there to gauge their willingness to support them. Like, hey, you guys want to give us some fucking cash? And they were basically like, nah, bro. We're not going to give you any fucking cash. I mean, we'll totally. Prussian francs. Yeah. And, and they were maybe some. I mean, eventually, yes. So all these other guys were like, yeah, we'll back you. But only if France officially backs you because France was the big fucking swinging dick on the block. They were the, they were besides the British. We'll help you because we don't really like the British either. Fuck those guys. Uh, because the, I mean, Spain also kind of lost in the French and Indian war. I'm not going to get into it, but I'm just going to say they also did not like Britain at the time. That's for goddamn sure. They lost the the superpower race. Yeah, they really did did. not forget. Nobody ever forgets the superpower race unless you're Japan and you just had your whole country destroyed. (laughs) You make so many products. It was bombed to fucking smithereens. smithereens. Also, hey, so Arthur Lee, the, the last name Lee, L-E-E. This guy is the brother of Robert E. Lee's great, great grandfather. And that, like this Lee family goes back in Virginia for fucking ever. They ran the goddamn thing. They were, they were fucking flies on that Virginia shit. They were all over it. And they they really have a history past in America. I just found that fucking fascinating that Arthur Lee was one of the men who, Robert E. Lee, the man who would lead the army against the North in the Civil War, just in case we don't know who Robert E. Lee is. Sorry, I get, I, I sometimes just assume that everyone knows these historical characters. My apologies. But if you don't know who Robert Ever E. Lee is. Charlottesville? <laughs> <sighs> heard of Nazi rallies in America? Nazi Not rallies. Square Garden in the 1930s. Well, real. That's Robert things. E. Lee's statue. That yeah, and that and that same Robert E. Lee were tearing down. His great great grandfather's brother was signing a treaty in Paris, creating an alliance between France and the Patriots. Shit. A long line of of very wealthy white guys that owned people. Yeah, no, let's just be very real. Those, they owned a lot of fucking people. And that is what they came over here to do. And Lee was kind of a motherfucker anyway, because he was posh. He kind of was a nose up kind of guy, came from a very gentried and historied family, not only in England, but then they came over here. They founded some shit over here and they were just fucking wealthy, wealthy shit. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted. The second man that was sent over was a guy by the name of Silas Dean. This dude is a very interesting character. He was actually only sent over in semi-formal capacity, and this would end up not working out so well for him. Congress was like, hey, hey, Silas, why don't you head over there and see if you can get us some ammunition? We're going to need that. Gunpowder, ships, weapons, goods, all the good shit. And he was like, yeah, I'll go over there uh, because a lot of this trading back at the time, you'd get a fee. You'd get like a 5% cut or a 10% cut. And 5% was actually the exact number that he was saying he was getting as a as this merchant abroad buying 
things for people, not definitely not the Patriots. He also helped recruit Lafayette, which that's pretty cool. He is the man who wrote the literal commission that to Congress that sent Lafayette over this way, which is I think pretty pretty fucking cool. Some of these some of these guys that he Lafayette wasn't the only person that he signed commissions for, too, by the way. Uh, some of these guys that he did sign commissions for were real big fuck-ups. Ultimately, in Dean's case, and we'll kind of get into how he got into some rough shit, this didn't help that he was kind of starting to send people over from France to the U.S., to, to the Americas, that were complete fuck-ups. Right away, Dean and Lee did not get along. Lee was this stuck-up guy from Virginia who's like, I have money, I'm over here to fight the Patriot cause. And Dean's over there like, I'm kind of shady. I'm going to have to deal with finding privateers, a.k.a. pirates, that would go against not flying a country flag that would just go raid British ships and then bring them into these like questionably tied ports to France, but not quite France territory areas. Like Dean had to hang out with these guys. He had to know the people that could get the shit done without officially doing anything, if that makes sense. So he was, you know, he was kind of shady, but he was also pocketing some cash. And I don't think that Lee really looked highly upon that either. So Lee ends up writing back to his very powerful Virginian family that he thinks Dean is being shady. He doesn't he doesn't write Congress right away. He writes his family and he's like, I think this dude's pretty fucking shady. And so word starts to spread that there's this dude over there in France from the Americas representing Congress kind of in a way, but also buying these supplies and pocketing some of the cash that he's supposed to be spending on all these Patriot supplies that were gathered by people who didn't really have a whole shit ton of money back in the States. It was it was a little bit of a, a kind fucking, of mirroring Benedict Arnold. Very, very much mirroring Benedict Arnold. And it's very funny that you mentioned his name because believe it or not, it's very funny that you mentioned his name. We'll talk a little bit more. These two are connected, actually, uh, Dean and Arnold. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, it's really it's kind of fascinating. Uh, it's it, not not in a scandalous way, but it's fascinating. So immediately after the treaty with France is signed, Dean is recalled by Congress because Lee had kind of had this campaign to get him out of there because he just didn't think he was doing good things. So the very first thing that Dean does without having time to like reconcile his accounts, make sure that everything is going like make sure that all of his tracks are covered. He sent lickety split right back onto the Americas. Another issue Dean had France would not show any of their books to anyone. I mean, they didn't have to. They were a sovereign nation. So if Dean was trying to cover something up, unless his book specified it, the French people were never going to tell them basically how much money they were giving to Dean to be the people that supplied the arms to the U.S. They wanted to keep all this shit hush hush. But there was still a lot of political weight against Dean. It's kind of like planting an idea that someone is corrupt. Even though you don't know they're corrupt, a lot of people are probably going to still think they're corrupt. And as much as we say innocent until proven guilty, it's mostly guilty once someone says something against you until you can prove that you're innocent. I mean, that's just how I think we work. But your life is still fucking destroyed. And that's exactly what happens to Dean. His life is fucking destroyed. 
his finances begin to spiral wildly downward. The Patriots really did start to consider him an enemy. And this whole. And then Robert E. Lee's military tactics cost almost more American lives than any other war ever. And then he has statues of him still in 2017. Uh, yeah, that's a really, that's a, that's a fucked up situation. But his great, great grandfather's brother helped, you know, free the U.S. from Britain. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe good, bad, it all weighs out in a family. Maybe, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, oh, Arlington Cemetery? <laughs> the Lee's property? <laughs> really? I didn't know yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Beautiful grounds. Have you been on that grounds? Yeah, I have. You missed it. Oh, no, no, no. But it, it is some gorgeous I have been there. Space. And they turned it into a big old fucking cemetery? Yeah. Good for good for. Them. It was just a huge moneymaker. Really? But anyway, yeah. And what yeah. was it a moneymaker? Land. Is oh, yeah. Just fucking shit tons of land. Well, anyway. You know, a 40-minute wagon ride from Mount Vernon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were not white people working that land. But okay, <laughs> go ahead. So, well, I mean, basically we're saying and Dean didn't own much land here at all. So, I mean, he this dude just, yeah, he's fucked. Everyone thinks he's an enemy. And Congress was about to send someone over to audit him. So they're like, all right, France won't show us their books, but we can look at your books and we're going to ask around and we're going to fucking see if you did anything wrong. And we're going to fucking, we're going to get to the bottom of this. This is the interesting part about Benedict. Uh, in 1783, this is, this is later, he ends up moving to England and he would hang out with Benedict Arnold. They were friends. They knew one another and they would hang out like, yeah, I didn't really work out in the Americas. And, you know, Benny Arnold would be like, nah, me fucking neither. Tried to fucking sell West Point. So th this is it, it's interesting. Everyone knew he was hanging out with fucking Benedict Arnold at this time, who everyone knew obviously was a fucking traitor. And everyone just assumed he was also a traitor. And it is it is actually interesting. He did have very interesting traitor ties, uh, Dean did. Interestingly enough, when Dean first landed in France, he was instructed by Benjamin Franklin to contact a guy named Edward Bancroft. Edward Bancroft was a former student of Dean's, and so Edward Bancroft lived in England as they had a natural relationship. Benjamin Franklin knew that he could probably coerce some information via Dean from Mr. Bancroft. However, uh, and, and we, and the Patriots paid Bancroft for his information and Bancroft was like, yeah, I'll give you some information. Only later in time do we find out that this dude was actually totally a double agent and he was hanging out with Dean to get information for England. Fuck, like maybe this dude was a traitor. Maybe he wasn't like he was hanging out with some really fucking shady dudes. He was making some shit happen. However, I will. I do want to say, ultimately, I actually think that Dean was a patriot. In 1789, his health begins to fail a little bit, and he heads back to the States, but dies just hours into the journey, which fucking sucks. So he was ultimately buried in England, never made it back to the American soil, which sucks because, like I said, I do think this guy was actually a patriot. He wanted to go over there. He wanted to help fund and, and make money and send some stuff over to the patriots, to the Americas. 
However, he also wanted to fucking make some money too. He understood that there, this was a business. And this is crazy. Way later in 1841, Congress issues his heirs $37,000 in compensation for not having, they never finished the official audit. And it turns out uh, Dean was actually pretty above board. He was pretty all right. Uh, we figured that out. Sorry. And so this motherfucker like went in England. Everyone thought he was a traitor, died on a motherfucking ship, was buried in England. And it turns out he actually never really did anything. Lee just didn't fucking like him. Holy fucking shit. Like, damn. The last motherfucker that I want to talk about is Benjamin a motherfucking Franklin himself. Benjamin Franklin is a How did that go? Benjamin motherfucking Franklin himself. Benjamin. Benjamin. Franklin. <laughs> I told you, man, I'm going to be on America's uh This dude was a mother. This dude was a badass. Benjamin Franklin. Badass. Swimmer. Inventor. Dude. Lady killer fucking lady killer he had i mean he didn't actually kill ladies although actually i read something that was super fascinating people are like benjamin franklin could have been a serial killer and you ask what (laughs) benjamin franklin serial killer no way and it's like well in one of the houses that he owned in the basement they did find a shit ton of bones however i think that can easily be explained away by the fact that he was a scientist at the time. And one of the new but taboo things was kind of studying the human body. So they most likely were just performing. Yeah, they were cadavers. They were performing autopsies. And these cadavers that he had were between newborn to really fucking old. And people were like, he was a serial killer. And I'm like, no, he probably just was interested Those to see. Those were the most available cadavers. Right. Like, I mean, there were a bunch of young people that died and a bunch of fucking old people that died. And their bodies would have to be transported transported from somewhere to somewhere and buried. And back then, they would just, in transit, drop the bodies off somewhere and take the extra money and say, yeah, we totally buried him over there. Yeah. Um. So I know I don't think he was a serial killer, but again, lady killer, this dude, I want to talk about it. This dude all over fucking in the States over there as an inventor, as someone who loved the arts and loved culture and society, civilization, politics, all of it. Women were enthralled by him and he loved the ladies. Uh, he reportedly sat in his uh, study every morning naked. So uh, we can understand that he was perhaps an eccentric man. And so I think that he just held this allure for women. And also he listened to them. He he was perhaps, I wouldn't call him a feminist, but he understood that women were independent. Women could have thoughts and he would play to that. And women loved that he, he gave them the independence to do so. And he just fucking killed it. I mean, he would get, he was notorious for getting all kinds of like young ladies. He was married, although for 18 years of that marriage, he spent one of the very original drunk histories. 
Oh, that dude was starring Jack Black. It's <laughs> about his uh, absurd lady killing, like fucking his friends' wives <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Like he was just fucking everybody. And I actually think that this made him a really good candidate to go over to France because the French were definitely known to be a little more loose with their sex. I mean, uh, just loose with their sexuality. And I'm not saying that Benji Franklin got into some of the gay shit, but I definitely think that he was, uh, he played it fast and loose for sure. He was eccentric. He did belong to some clubs back then. You didn't, you didn't have access to porn. so. Back then, you would just go to places where people would do really dirty things in uh, private. Different types of gentlemen's clubs. They would call them Hellfire Clubs. It was another name for a very specific type of club, the type of club that Benjamin Franklin in France would maybe find himself in. And a lot of that was like, hey, we're going to call each other brother. We're going to get naked and we're going to probably jack off together and watch some people fucking or fuck a whole bunch of people in an orgy or all types of crazy ass shit. And so as a lady killer, as someone who was very liberated sexually, I think he fucking loved France, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Um, again, we talk about some of his inventions uh, and I want to touch again on his swimming. He invented these paddles because he just would, he would swim every day. He was a lifelong, lifelong swimmer. He is no joke. He is inducted into the swimming hall of fame. He's an honorary member of the, the swimming hall of fame. He opened up swimming schools in America and has plenty of fucking quotes about people training their fucking kids to swim totally into it. He had a lot of inventions and theories about electricity, loved to play with it. At parties, he would, if it was raining and thunderstorming out, he would whip out his fucking kite and fly it in the air and, like, attract some lightning down. And people would watch it, and they thought it was fucking great. So the fact that this guy didn't die while, you know, performing some of these motherfucking experiments. Benjamin Franklin, although he was into the sex parties, fit very oddly into French culture. He liked to wear a beaver hat. That was, that was a thing. He was known to dress very plainly. Puritan style, partly because he knew that that was kind of titillating to them. A lot of the French people who were kind of this liberated sexual group of people, they just thought that the Americans, besides the fact that, you know, it was a British colony area, were a bunch of Puritans. He was playing the exotic part. Oh, he was playing the very exotic part. He, he was an American and being an American back then meant that you were a fucking beaver pelt hat. And walked around in very plain, what, what you would think a pilgrim would wear is exactly basically what he was fucking wearing over there. Like uh, brown, very, uh, th- maybe the. I, being Appalachian to a northern taste. Oh, very much. So. That's, a, that's probably the best way to put it, actually. He was definitely being Appalachian to a northern taste. And he would play on that just so that people would kind of know like, hey, I may be over here as a merchant, air quotes. But I'm actually a fucking American, and don't you ever fucking forget it. So and a genius, and I'm gonna tuck circles around you, and fuck your wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and by the way, here's cheese whiz. <laughs> I made it. You're gonna on the way over. You're gonna love it. Um. 
So actually, too, I mean, another another one of his inventions, Beethoven and Bach actually played inst- an instrument that he invented because, of course, why wouldn't he fucking invent some goddamn instruments? It was basically like those glass cups that you could play. Like, you know how, like, you can get, like, the rim uh, of a glass wet? Yeah. It, it, he, would, he would automatically spin these glasses using a lever of the foot and this this mechanism would spin these glasses of different sizes automatically and you would get your fingers wet. Of course, of course, an instrument that he would invent would require you to get your fingers wet. He would just like get his fingers wet and start like playing on this like glass little harp type situation, like kind of like a piano, but not tuned like a piano. The glass sizes were so people thought that was fucking cool. But really xylophone licking one motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, fuck. But that finger licking motherfucker was America's uh, really considered America's first diplomat. Lee was kind of a wild man, but his family was in charge of shit. So he was going to be over there. I mean, doing what he wanted to do. They needed a kind of creepy man like Dean. I wonder if he's any relation to Howard Dean. And uh, he was over there just kind of like you know, getting doing the seedy underbelly shit that America needed to have happen. And then we had Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was like the couth motherfucker that actually was part of Congress and like represented us officially. All three would be present, including uh, Sam Adams also joined them at one time, but I don't really include him in there because he spent no time at length over there doing any type of espionage work. He was strictly there in official capacity, whereas Benjamin Franklin was over there for like 10, 11 years. You mean and, John Adams, not Sam Adams. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Sam Adams, totally. Definitely, fuck me. And so John, John, Adam, Adam. John Adams, yes, John Adams was over there with them. Benjamin Franklin was America's first official diplomat. He was a legitimate motherfucker who loved to fuck around and do weird sex stuff because I feel like that's just ingrained in American politics. Uh, our current president probably got pissed on by some Russians. So diplomacy works in weird ways. <laughs> and so he video came out of Donald Trump getting pegged. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Oh, man. Wouldn't Hillary. I cr- his daughter (laughs) let's let's just be honest there's some weird shit that goes down there although you want to know who also had a weird relationship with their daughter harry s truman so harry s truman's young daughter no joke like as soon as he became president and that dude was one dumb motherfucker as soon as he became president after fdr died his daughter would just like kind of sit in on business meetings with like you know the russians Isn't that fucking weird? Also, by the way, another odd coincidence between Harry S. Truman and our current fucking failure as a president. And I also think that Harry S. Truman was a failure. Although Harry S. Truman did bomb some nations, so maybe we should learn from this. Oh, God, he was so much more intelligent than Donald Trump. No, he was not. He was a fucking... Oh, he was. No, he was a dumb motherfucker. If you think... He had failed businesses. No, he was not anywhere near what is going on right now. I would beg to disagree. I really do. I really do. I really do. I think that Harry S. Truman was... would disagree. Uh, yeah, Oppenheimer would disagree because Oppenheimer wanted to fucking bomb some shit. Ryan, what are you talking about? I I I disagree with your assessment of Harry Truman. 
I think Harry S. Truman. Intelligence. I think he's a bozo. I think I think he was a failed business hat maker. I think he was stubborn. I think he was incorrect for the job. I think that he did. I don't think he thought that he would ever be the president. Let alone, I don't think that fucking uh, FDR ever thought he would be president. I think he picked him as a lame duck. I think he picked him as just someone to fucking sit in the goddamn seat and shut the fuck up while he's doing all of his shit. That's what I think. I honestly, I honestly believe that. I really do. I have a lot of disagreements with this. <sighs> it's gonna get. It's gonna get fucking heated. Anyway, information, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get. There. We'll get there. We'll fucking get there. So first, we're talking back. Back to Benji. Back to Benji Franklin. Uh, first, it might be his age by the time we get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll fucking. We'll fucking get there. Back to Franklin. He was the first official diplomat. He was really the one that kind of officially bonded all the ties while these other two dipshits were out doing shit franklin was talking to the right people he was hanging out at court he was fucking everybody's wife and he really i think secured ultimately the alliance not really the arms not all the other shit that we got from france but he secured the diplomatic alliance and persuaded france who was like oh we 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 are not going to get into this war if you're going to lose and he's like don't worry about it. It's totally fucking fine. Let's go back to the orgy. All right. Like, and they're like, oh, okay. And I think he was like, he made them feel comfortable with investing in America as, uh, I mean, it was a monetary investment for sure, but also as an ultimate payback to say, fuck you, Britain, you know? And, uh, yeah. I don't really, I don't really want to go too much more into Benjamin Franklin. Uh, I, I think he's a fascinating character. He, again, just really, really played a massive part in securing this alliance and being a diplomat, and, and understood also. And all three of these guys really, in a way, had an idea of operational intelligence. They understood how to conduct themselves in foreign affairs in a way that would be advantageous. Uh, and it's, it's just ultimately really kind of cool to see. It was cool to research these guys and kind of figure out the, you know, the whole, how, how they, they played a part in securing the victory for the patriotic cause and really allowing Washington himself to have the resources that he needed to win a war. And that's about, I, uh, I think, I think that's where we're going to leave it tonight. I think, uh, it's been, we've been recording for a while. We'll probably edit that down into a nice little bite-sized chunk for all of you but uh yeah definitely hit us up on facebook email us contact at potus.life uh heckle us you know we 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 won't abuse our power we're we're good we're good dudes we're good dudes mostly Революции готов кричать привет 
Зайдя родная, без России с любовью. 